Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together with your people opening up the word. And as we do, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that I would handle your word well, that I would reflect and represent you well as I speak your words. I pray that that we would be strengthened, that we'd be moved on to your agenda, that we would take on the mind of Christ, that we would seek to serve that we would seek out the lost. That we would seek to, to build up the body of Christ, the family that you've placed us in. And we pray that you would provide every need, spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, that you would provide needs here, God. And that we would, from that connection with you, that we would reach out and, and bless others. That we would receive love and grace and blessing from you. And may we be a greater blessing to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Acts chapter 6. We're going to continue our series through the book of Acts. And in Acts 4, Pastor Mike preached on Acts chapter 4, and he shared about some of the threats that the early church had. They were told not to speak about Jesus. The religious leaders in in that day were like, this Jesus guy, quit talking about him or we're going to throw you in the jail. And the disciples, in response to that, they prayed. The, The apostles, they prayed. The disciples prayed. And they were like, Lord, give us boldness. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4. And they were given boldness to continue to speak the word of God. And then in Acts chapter 5, there was this a threat, if you will, um, through a couple of Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit, who weren't being real. And, and, and God protected and preserved that hypocrisy and that deceit from spreading and permeating the church by taking them out. Okay, it was, it was a heavy, heavy, uh, story, uh, that we read last week. And this week, there is a threat to the church, uh, of dissension, of disunity or distraction. And so we're going to see how the church faces uh, these threats and then uh, the solution and the result. So Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 42, uh, through Acts chapter 6, starting and ending in verse 7. It says, And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procris, and Nekor, Nekor and Timon, and Parmias, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them, 
And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's the big idea. This is where we're going this morning from this text is that churches face threats to unity and gospel advancement. And the Holy Spirit helps churches by leading them to place the right people in the appropriate roles that will promote unity and growth. So as I said, there were some threats that the early church was facing. God was moving. The religious Jewish religious leaders tried to stop the apostles from talking about Jesus, from teaching and preaching the gospel, and, and they wouldn't stop. They would not stop. So again, in chapter 5, there, there's this encounter, and it's similar to chapter 4. So this time, the apostles get beaten. Like they, they were told to stop preaching and, and they, the response was, you decide whether it's right to obey God or man. And so implying, they were saying, we're obeying God here. You guys are, the implication was, you guys are rebelling against God. You're rejecting, you're rebelling, you're disobeying God, telling us to not preach Jesus. Okay, by the way, that there's a good lesson there for when it's appropriate for us to disobey earthly authorities. When earthly authorities directly oppose the authority of God in, in, that's clearly revealed in Scripture. And so the apostles obeyed Jesus to c- continue preaching the word of God, and you, they got beaten for it, and you know what? They didn't, they didn't walk away full of self-pity. The Scripture says that they walked away, they went away rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. I hope that would be our response if that was us in that circumstance. If we were, if we had the privilege of being able to go to jail or get beaten or have experienced some kind of persecution because we love Jesus and we're committed to Jesus and we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. We're not going to deny our faith because Jesus is everything to us. The apostles weren't going to stop talking about Jesus even though there were threats. It wasn't just persecution that threatened the church. It was also corruption from within. It wasn't just external persecution. There were members within who were pretenders, Ananias and Sapphira, who weren't being real, who weren't being honest. And then there was this little dispute. There was a complaint. There was an apparent dissension here. So here's the problem. In verse 1, it says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution. Now, first of all, I just want to point out that when you get more people, you're going to get more problems with it. Okay? As churches grow and get bigger, there's more needs to be met and there's more problems to, to work, to help people through. There's more brokenness and messiness. People are just messy and broken. We're messy and broken, right? And we have, we, we need healing. We need restoration. We need the gospel. We need the love of the Father flowing through the children of God into our lives to help bring healing to our brokenness. Okay, so more people created more more conflicts. There were there were issues. There were sparks flying, if you will. There there were, and it was between the Hellenists, the Greek speaking Jews, and then the the Hebrew speaking Jews. 
Okay? So there was a complaint. Now, I don't know how exactly they went about bringing this complaint to the leadership, but there's a, there's a proper way to bring a problem to leadership in the church. Okay? And the improper way is to talk about it to somebody else with somebody else that's not a part of the problem or the solution. We call that gossip, right? So when, when we when we see a problem or, or not see a problem in a church and we talk about it to somebody that's not even a part of the problem and not a part of the solution, we're engaging in gossip. Or if we're listening to that. Over the years, I've had to stop brothers and sisters uh, in their tracks as they start to share something, maybe in the form of a prayer request. Pray for sister so-and-so because she's just, you know... Re- and, 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 you know, and I've had to stop, you know, now, of course, and serving in a pastoral role, I'm oftentimes I'm a part of the solution. Okay. But not always. And now, and if, and if I'm not their pastor and I'm not their leader uh, of another church, then, you know, there's times where we can say to a brother, sister, it, should you be sharing this with me? Because it just doesn't seem like, like I should be hearing this about this person right now. So anyhow, there's a proper way and an improper way to bring a, a problem or a complaint. So you want to go to the person that's a part of the problem or to the person that's a part of the solution, okay? And 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 make an appeal to leadership that there something needs to happen here. This is a this was a significant issue. There were there were widows who weren't being properly cared for. Okay? Now God cares a lot about widows. God cares a lot about poor, helpless people that, that are needy. He cares about children. He cares about single mothers. He cares about the disabled, the weak, and the broken. And, and throughout the scripture, we see God making rules, instructions for how the, his people should treat those who are weak and vulnerable. Like, like widows and orphans. God is a defender of orphans and widows. Okay? And so there were some some Hellenistic, some Greek-speaking widows who were being neglected. Now, there may have been some racial or cultural tension going on here. We don't know exactly if that was behind this. Okay, we don't know that for sure. But we do, we, we do know that the human heart is so prone to racism, right? So prone to... To, to rejecting those who are different than us. Even amongst Christians. Uh, after years of being Christians, there are Christians who still struggle with prejudice and, and racism in their hearts. And they need the gospel of Jesus Christ applied to those areas of their hearts and their lives. Until those walls of prejudice and racism are broken down. Until they can just love and embrace somebody who's different than them. Okay, And we're committed to that here at City Church. We value... Uh, diversity, unified diversity in the church. And God was saving a people, uh, making them unified, yet uh, making a people who were diverse, making a, a family who's diverse yet unified. And we see this more and more when we get to Acts chapter 10. God starts saving Gentiles. Non-Jewish people start getting saved. And even the apostles have to have a paradigm shift when we get there. They need to change their thinking a little bit. They, 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 Peter needs a vision from Jesus to, to break through there, okay? And so they have to work through some of that stuff. Okay, and so there's an apparent dissension here. There's some tension. There's a dissension. There's this p- potential disunity, and it needed to be addressed. This is one of the enemy's tactics 
to destroy churches, to threaten and damage churches. John Stott, who has a great commentary on the book of Acts that I've used and found very helpful, he says this. He says, the devil's next attack was the cleverest of the three. Having failed to overcome the church by either persecution or corruption, he now tried distraction. If he could preoccupy the apostles with social administration, which though was essential, was not their calling, they would neglect their God-given responsibilities to pray and to preach and so leave the church without any defense against false doctrine. So Stott points out these three that persecution, corruption, and distraction are, are some of the threats that were coming against the church. And, and, you, and you might say disunity as well or dissension as well. And so let's look at the solution. What do they do about it? Well, they call a meeting, good old church meetings. Let's have a committee meeting. Let's get, let's get the church together. Let's have a membership meeting. There was some communication with the church to the church about the problem. Okay. And they, verse 12 is, or verse 2, it says, and the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, does that sound arrogant at all to anybody? Does anybody feel like, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say that the greatest in the kingdom are the servants of all? Jesus was washing feet, right? I mean, somebody could have used that scripture, used that that, that saying with the apostles. Come on, Jesus was washing feet. You guys need to be serving too. Well, they had a solution. Though the apostles themselves serving the tables and meeting the needs through the daily distribution, that might have been a good thing, but that wasn't necessarily the best thing for the church. You see, God has gifted a body to work and function together, and we all have a part. And there's health and growth when we all bring our part to the body. Okay? And by the way, I just want to say how much I appreciate just our church and how we work together. Uh, we have a little something called Planning Center, and there are names on there every week of people who are going to be serving in different areas. And I'm thankful that we have volunteers, church members, family members who have said, I'll help in there. I'll do that. You need, you need some help with kids. You need some help with AV. You need some help with ushering. You need some help greeting. You need some help on the worship team. I'll do that. I'm willing to serve. And we want to encourage every member to have that. that. That is a mark of health, by the way. A healthy person. They're just, they're thinking about other people and they're serving. So anyhow, caveat. So they, they communicated to the people. Here's the problem here. And then they gave a solution. And by the way, uh, I think we need to be, if we have a problem with something at church, I think we should be willing to be a part of the solution if possible. Right. I love it when I can say when somebody brings an issue to me with the church or a desire like, man, we should do this kind of outreach or we should do this with the church, this kind of event. I love to say, that's awesome. Go for it, man. You got you got what it takes to lead that. Let's let's do that. Yeah, let's do it. We need that. Come on. You're the person, right? Like, I, I would love for it if, 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 if you, you know, when, when there is stuff that comes up, if you're passionate about it and you're gifted and you're able to do so, if you have the bandwidth to do it, to fill that gap, there's a need, let's meet it, okay? 
And so that's kind of like what, what the apostles did here there, because those that they appointed to meet this need among the Hellenistic, the Greek speaking Jews, they were uh, also Greek speaking Jews. Okay. And, and we can note, note that by the names that are listed. And so they had a plan and the plan was to delegate. Let's spread, let's spread the responsibility out. So that we don't wear down ourselves. The apostles knew that it would be the best interest of the church and the kingdom of God, the gospel advancing, the kingdom of God spreading, if they devoted themselves to prayer and the proclamation of the word, the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. That's what Jesus did. He gave himself to prayer and he gave himself to the proclamation of of the word of God. And by the way, that's the two primary ways that we see the kingdom of God spreading in the gospel advancing, the mission of God advancing in the world is through the proclamation of the word and through the prayers of the saints. That's what we see in the book of Acts. That's what's happening. But there's also more that goes on with that. There are tables to be served. There are practical things that need to be done. There are mercy ministries that need to be exercised and practiced within the church. We can't neglect widows and orphans and we can't neglect needs that we have right here within our own body. We have to live out the one another's. And so they, they communicated to the church. They delegated leaders who would fit well to serve those needs. Verse three says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. They, ha- they need to have a good reputation. Okay. Like if, if they were, you know, flicking the finger and cutting you off on the road, like that guy's not going to serve there. Sorry. It's family Sunday here. Sorry about that. So choose men who have a good reputation, okay, and who are full of the spirit, not full of themselves, not full of wine, but full of the spirit. People who are men who are influenced by the spirit of God and men who are full of wisdom. They can they know how to do life and they know how to manage life well. Well, and and, and by the way, there's an argument here that these were uh, the first deacons uh, in the church. Now, it's not. It's not clearly, it's not clear that these were officially the first deacons because it doesn't use that exact word, Greek word for deacon there, but they were servants. They were servants. And it's, and it's, it's kind of what you do when you establish deacons as churches. You lay hands on them. You, you identify people with the right character and, and the gifting and ability and you lay hands on them and, and you affirm the church affirms. Yeah, these guys will serve great in there. The leaders appoint them, lay hands on them, pray, release them and delegate the authority to help carry the weight of the responsibility. Now, this was something that happened in the Old Testament here. Um, in the Old Testament, there was a guy named Moses. You guys all know about Moses. And he had a father-in-law named Jethro. The Lord had delivered the Israelites through the Red Sea. They experienced deliverance. And there was good stuff happening. Okay, But Moses was like the main guy. And everybody was coming to Moses to get their their problems worked out, judicial problems. Man, this guy, he took this from me, or this guy did this or that. And there was this bottleneck. Has anybody ever been, like, recently to the driver's license department right over here across the way? And there's just this huge line. There's this huge bottleneck. Everything has to go through there. There's there's a way around that, by the way. You can do that online and, and make it go faster. 
But if you if you've ever been in a line where it's just it's just all bottlenecked up, it's just it can get frustrating, right? Uh, and then for those who are leading in those roles, it wears them out. So Moses was doing that, and his father father they would come to him day every day throughout the whole day. He he would sit and judge the people, and this is Exodus eighteen thirteen. That Moses sat sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. I wonder if he got a lunch break. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, what is it? That, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning to evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And, and when they have a dispute, and they come to me and I decide between one person and another and make them known the statues of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice. God be with you. You shall represent the people before God, bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statues and the laws and, and, and make them make known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and let the people at all times, let them judge the people at all times, and every great matter shall be brought, they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide um, themselves. So it'll be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure and the people will also go to their place in peace. This sounds like really good advice. And it's, it's real, it's, it's just basic for leadership and multiplication delegation. Okay. Making disciples and growing as a church and growing as a leader who's developing other leaders requires delegation. Okay. Giving other leaders responsibility and empowering them, releasing them to serve in those roles. There are qualifications that the New Testament gives for deacons. Right now we have one deacon who is officially serving and he's walking in the door right now, Kevin Bailey. One of the main things that he's been doing, uh, is serving in the, the AV area, the, the sound booth. And, and like we're able to see the words and hear the music clearly and, and have a peaceful time in corporate worship. Partly because of Kevin Bailey back there helping us make that work. That's just one of the things that he helps out with and grateful, Kevin, for you and the way that you serve within the body and your faithfulness. And when there is a need, just how you, you help out. There was, uh, not too long ago, Michael Kirshner had an alternator or something that went out. And uh, Kevin Bailey showed up on Sunday morning and, and went and changed that alternator. During, that was his act of worship. That was beautiful. Anyways, I just want to honor you, Kevin, and, and say I, I appreciate you. Um, but here, here's some qualifications here for, for deacons that, that Paul gives to Timothy. And he says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children with their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence 
in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That is an honorable role in the church. And these these seven seem to be functioning in that role. Early church, as as it's getting started, there were some needs. And their primary role as deacons is to serve. Their primary role is to serve, just to serve the meet the basic needs. Elders are given the responsibility to preach and teach and shepherd and care for uh, the church. And deacons' primarily role is is to serve and, and to help meet basic needs within the church. And deacons are like shock absorbers. Anybody ever had a car that the shocks went out on? And you're cruising down the road, and you start hitting bumps. It's, oh, it's getting rough here. we got to pull this thing over, right? Anybody ever had that experience? Or just even one of the shocks? Okay. Dave was like, I got my, my car right now is like that. No. Deacons and those who have the mentality of servants, and that's what deacons are. They're servants. Those who have that mentality are like shock absorbers. Okay. They, they help bear... The, the roughness and help bring some, a smoother ride for everybody by helping meet some needs. So there was a logistical system that needed to be in place in the early church. These widows needed to get care for. So the system needed to be set up and the leaders needed to be in place to meet those needs. Help with mercy ministries and, and all kinds of just practical ministries that are needed within the church. But note this. That two of the seven become rock stars in, in speaking the word of God. Stephen, okay? Stephen, he preaches this awesome sermon and he gets stoned for it. He gets killed for it, right? So just think twice if you want to be a leader in the church because you put yourselves on the front line, by the way. <laughs> and then Philip, who was an evangelist, he, and he went about preaching and God was doing signs and wonders through him. Kind of like what God was doing through the apostles. So the apostles must have been doing some good leadership training with these guys. These guys were ready. They were equipped. They were doing the work of the ministry. And they weren't confined merely to serving tables. Now, if you're if you're serving in an area here at City Church right now and you feel like, I don't want to be confined to just a greeter or a children's volunteer or whatever... I, I understand and I just want to encourage you that you don't that that does not have to define you and it doesn't have to be your your major gifting. One of the things that has helped me since I've been a Christian is to just find find needs and serve. And, and as I've done that as a Christian, I've discovered how God has wired me and gifted me. And, and my gifting has come out more and more. So like when I first got saved, I was at a church that had a had a thriving inner city children's ministry. Okay, I didn't necessarily be like feel like, man, I'm called the children's ministry. I just saw some rowdy, crazy little kids that needed some loving. And I was like, I'm in. I want to serve. I want to help these these young people know Jesus. And as I was doing that, like God was shaping me and forming me. I was just seeking to be a blessing to these precious, precious children, many of which don't even have fathers. And I was uh, in the same boat because my dad died when I was 15 years old. And so I just sought to be a blessing. And as I did that, I, I was a volunteer at um, the Juvenile Correction Center for uh, like six years. And I would go in and talk to young people who were coming from the same background that I came from. And I would bring my guitar and I would sing and I would preach. And it was terrible. 
It was, ter- I mean, I was not the best singer or preacher, uh, and, and testimony giver. I mean, but, but God used it and God was not only blessing the you through it, but God was, was growing me and blessing me through it. And so, and so as, as you're, as you're trying to discover your place in ministry, because all Christians are called to ministry, to, they're called to be ministers, find a place and serve, find a need and meet it. But it's, it's, it's ideal if you can find something that fits with your gifting. Things will flow a little bit smoother. But oftentimes you won't discover it until you just start serving and helping people. So look at the result. When they did, when they did delegate and get leaders in, in, in the right places, the right people with, that were qualified, that, that had godly character, who were gifted and who were able they they were they were gifted and able and they had character they had character they had christ likeness the result was everybody was happy isn't that nice everybody was happy they they were pleased and the result was growth the word of god continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is what a healthy church looks like. They're making an impact in their community because the, the, they're, everybody's bringing their part. Everybody's doing their part. And the leaders are committing themselves to the preaching of the word. I think what the apostles did and how they devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word is the model that pastors should follow. I think that that is something that as a leader here, I should give myself to and be committed to because it's through the proclamation of the word, the teaching of the word, that one, that the saints, the congregation is protected from false teaching, okay? And that the congregation is equipped to do good works, to do the work of the ministry because we're all called to the work of the ministry, and there's maturity, there's, there's growth, there's development. And when the leaders are doing that properly, there is a unity within the body as well. Ephesians chapter 4, if you got it, go ahead and turn there. If you don't, I got it up on the screen. It says that he gave some, verse 11. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. He said he gave some the, he gave some the apostles, uh, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Notice what the roles of these leaders were to be. They were to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That happens through the ministry of the word. And by the way, speaking is, 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 that is, it's a ministry. It's serving. It's serving people through study and through speaking. And so the, the, the role of the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists were to equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministries. Look, look at the person next to you and tell them you are called to do the work of the ministry. You're called to do the work of the ministry. That is not just for pastors. That is not just for deacons. We are all, as Christians, we're all called to be like that. I just wonder what would happen amongst Christians in workplaces who went to work with that mindset that I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I represent Jesus in this place. I'm going to tell about Jesus. I'm going to pray for people. Uh, the, the, the apostles gave themselves to prayer 
because they were dependent upon the Spirit of God to do what only He could do through the preaching of the Word. Okay? They preached the Word, they committed to studying it, preaching it, and they prayed, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed. And we gotta do the same. We won't see growth and make an impact unless we give ourselves to prayer. Unless we be people of prayer and people of the word, we won't be equipped for ministry unless we be, become people of the word. So the leadership is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith. So unity is a result of healthy leaders doing what they're made to do in the church. It leads to the saints being equipped. It leads to unity in the faith until we come to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Spiritual maturity occurs when leaders are doing their part, when mature, healthy leaders are helping other Christians grow into Christ-likeness and maturity through preaching the word and praying for them. And then stability, verse 14, so that we may no longer be like children, no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So there's stability that occurs when there's there's biblical leadership, godly leadership who is preaching the word of God, not their opinions. And not just entertaining with stories and jokes on a Sunday morning, but preaching the word of God so the people of God can be built up and strengthened and mature and unified and and stable and grounded in what the word of God says. And notice verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love that we are to grow up in every way who into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together, held together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what God has called us to. This is what a healthy church looks like when, when it's functioning and pro, when it's, when the, when the heart's beating and the blood's pumping through the body and things are working in the body like it's supposed to. And every member of the body has a part to bring. First Peter says, first Peter 4.10, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In closing, I've got a couple application points. One is to be eager to cultivate the unity Unity in the church. So Ephesians 4, 2 tells us to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Fight for that. Be eager to promote that. Do things that promote unity within the church. That cult- Let's be a people who cultivate honor among the church and unity among the church by the things that we say and the things that we do. 
And then be a people of the word so that the apostles devoted themselves to the ministry of the word. Now, again, this is descriptive of what the apostles did. Descriptive. Okay, it's telling the story. Let me give some prescriptive apostolic instruction from Paul in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's prescriptive. That's for all the saints. It's not just for the apostles to give themselves to be people of the word. But for the saints, for you and I, to to let God's word dwell deep within us. And out of that overflow, ministry will happen. It'll just happen. If you're abiding in this, in the word of God in relationship with him and you're spending time with him, you're storing up the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against him. You're storing up the word of God in your heart so that you got something to feast on and you got some food to share with others and you're covered because you've stored it up and it's, it's, you're loaded, man. You're what, you want some pasta? You want some, you want some cereal? I, I got it right here. Let me, Bring out the word of God. Let it dwell in you richly. Let it overflow into singing, into speaking, into encouragement with one another. That's prescriptive. Be a people of prayer. That's also prescriptive. The apostles did that. They modeled. They modeled what it looks like to follow the Lord. And they gave themselves to prayer and and the, the word of God. We're instructed in Colossians 4.2 and in Romans 12.12 to be constant in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. We can all engage in that part of ministry and be people of prayer. And then lastly, seek to serve uh, with your gift. Be a people who seek to serve with your gift. As a steward of the, the grace of God, God's given you gifting. He's wired you uniquely to be a blessing to others, to show love uniquely through your personality and your gifting and impart grace and blessing into the lives of other people. Don't waste it. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your gifting. Don't waste the opportunities you have as a minister to serve others. That's that's a mark of a mature Christian, by the way. Okay? Somebody who's thinking about when they walk into a room, walk into a church or walk into a place, how can I serve other people? To be when when you're freed up to forget about yourself in a healthy way and not be self-absorbed and self-conscious and think about how can I edify and serve others right now? How can I encourage this this person? I I was just kind of caught off guard. I was I had a phone call yesterday by by a relative who um as far as I know, is not a Christian, but he just started encouraging me and speak. He was talking like a Christian. I was like, I was waiting for him to tell me, did you get saved? Like I was waiting for him to say, man, I gave my life to Jesus. He didn't say that, but, but he, he, he was like just encouraging me and he wasn't even a Christian. Uh, so he, he had that mindset. I was surprised by that, that it, it really blessed me that, that he had that mindset. Many people go to churches and they, they approach churches with a consumer mentality. What does this church have for me? What, what, what are they offering me? 
right? And so there's like this moving around. And then when they're not, when the church isn't meeting the need, they just go to another one. What if Christians took on the mindset when they approach churches, when in the church that they're a part of, what if they had the mindset to, to be like, what can I do here to be a blessing to the saints? And how could we as a church be a blessing to this community around us how could we make an impact and make a difference what if we had what if we took on that mentality when it came to church we would see much more of an impact may we see that here at city church garland may we see everybody bringing their part everybody built up everybody coming with the mindset of jesus to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, to, to not put ourselves before others, but to think about others and prefer others before ourselves. And if we do that, we will be happy. And those around us will be happy. And your family, if you do that, husbands and wives, if you have that mindset. Dads, moms, if we have that mindset, how can I serve my family? We would be much more happy in family relationships. And in our church family, work relationships at work. If you went to work with the mindset, how can I serve my coworkers today? Who can I bless today? Who can I encourage today? Hey, you need a cup of coffee? We will be more blessed and happy. Amen. Let's close in prayer. And as we do pray, uh, if you would just ask the Lord, what is your next step? And what what is the Holy Spirit want to put his finger on and and help you take a next step in. Lord, thank you that you've given us a family to be a part of. You've placed us in, in the body as you see fit, and you've uniquely gifted and wired us so that we can love one another with our giftings, with our strengths, and that we can receive from the strengths of others in our weaknesses. We can receive the strengths that others have in the body and have this healthy interdependence. And I, and I pray that as a church that we would be more unified and knit together. I pray, God, that we would have more of a mindset, more of the mindset of Christ who came to serve and not be served and, and that we would seek the best ways to serve, the most efficient, effective ways to serve, that we would do so that you might be glorified, that we would do so in your strength, serving in your strength, speaking your words, that you might be glorified, and that we would do so for the good of your people, that your people might be edified and built up. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace.